0: This is Monique. And this is Landon. And we're coming from the Kitchen of Knowledge in February. February 2017. I know. So um, I know we're going to be talking about something that Landon actually hates talking about.
1: I love talking about this.
0: No, you don't. Um, but we're going to talk about sepsis. and part. I of...
1: love talking about sepsis. <laughs> no,
0: he doesn't. He's lying.
1: We have a very... I'm going to do a shout out. Yeah. We have a very good friend who's a nurse educator named mm-hmm. Sherry.
0: Yes. And Sherry, who, Sherry Stackhouse. Yes, we who should say.
1: loves that. talking about, about sepsis. sepsis. I know. And I am so glad that there's someone who loves talking about <laughs> sepsis in this world.
0: I know. Because then I don't have to. Exactly. But today you're going to have to. Yay. Yay. Because there are some things that we need to talk about. So recently... In our emergency department, there was a fairly sick patient. She was only 49 years old, and she arrived with a complaint of flu-like symptoms for the last 24 hours. And I'm not sure where you are in the world, but we certainly have been inundated with uh, flu-like symptoms in the last little while in the emergency department. But she actually deteriorated very quickly and was quite peripherally shut down with peripheral cyanosis, the sickest person I've seen in a long time. She was quickly identified as having sepsis and she was resuscitated with the usual fluids, antibiotics, vasopressors, and unfortunately needed to be intubated. Her blood work showed signs of multiple organ failure, and her initial lactate was 10. Her final diagnosis was toxic shock group A strep that was found in her IUD. And there was no doubt that she was septic, and it took some time to determine the cause. But this made us think about—at least made me think about reviewing sepsis three and the new SOFA and qSOFA scores.
1: It didn't make me think about. It I at know all, you didn't because it's sepsis.
0: I know, but let's go back to this uh, SOFA and qSOFA so- scores. So in recent years, there's been quite a resurgence or an interest in sepsis, and there were some recently published studies back in. 2015, and they are called the Process, Arise, and Promise studies, which I'm actually not going to discuss here, and you can certainly look them up. But the final kind of conclusion of those studies, which were um, they all failed to show a benefit to protoli- protocolized care, which is that early goal directed therapy, because we're so good at treating sepsis now that they feel that we probably don't need this early goal directed therapy. Anyways, in February of 2016, the Third International Consensus... I'm having a really hard time uh, saying my words, and it may be because we're drinking wine, but um, Landon will probably say it's because I can't say big words. But let me start again. In February 2016, the Third International Consensus Definition for Sepsis and Septic Shock, what they call Sepsis 3, was published in JAMA. And the task force tried to differentiate sepsis from uncomplicated infection, and to update definitions of sepsis and septic shock to be consistent with our improved understanding of the pathophysiology, or pathobiology, excuse me. They also introduced the SOFA, which means sequential or sepsis-related organ failure assessment, or the QSOFA, which is the quick sequential organ failure assessment scores. So their recommendations were this. One. So seps-
1: these are these are the sepsis three people's People recommendations yeah, from
0: from JAMA. Yeah. Okay. So their recommendations were one that sepsis should be identified as life-threatening organ dysfunction caused by dysregulated host response to infection, and in clinical settings, this organ dysfunction would be represented by an increase in the SOFA score of two points or more, which is associated with an in-hospital mortality greater than ten percent. The second thing, so they've taken away like sepsis, severe sepsis, it's just sepsis and then septic shock. So the second thing is septic shock should be defined as a subset of sepsis in which particular profound circulatory cellular metabolic abnormalities are associated with a greater risk of mortality than with sepsis alone. It's a lot of S's, isn't there? my goodness you were, you were
1: like one syllable away from saying sexist at one i point. know
0: i think i was but anyways all these s's so clinically patients with septic shock can be identified as patients requiring a vasopressor to maintain a map of 65 millimeters of mercury or greater and a serum lactate greater than two millimoles per liter in the absence of hypovolemia this is associated with hospital mortality rates greater than 40%. And back to our patient, clearly our patient, based on these definitions, was, were, was in septic shock. The third point is in out-of-hospital or emergency departments or general hospital war settings, adult patients with suspected infection can be rapidly identified as being more likely to have poorer outcomes than typical of sepsis, if they have at least two of the following clinical criteria. And together, they represent a new bedside clinical score named Quick sofa or QSOFA. And this is um, respiratory rate 22 mm, millimeters, 22 rests per minute or greater, altered mentation or systolic blood pressure of 100 milligrams of mercury or less. I don't know why I'm having such problems with my words today. Um,
1: That's 100 millimeters of mercury or less. What did I say? Milligrams.
0: Oh my gosh. Okay, can we maybe repeat that so that I don't confuse people? So, your quilt. oh my goodness, your Quick SOFA score is a respiratory rate of 22 or greater, altered mentation, or systolic blood pressure 100 millimeters of mercury or less. Sorry about that.
1: Don't hurt yourself.
0: I know. I think I might have torn a muscle there doing that. Strained anyway.
1: All right. Well, why don't I take over? (laughs)
0: Yes, I think you better. Because I love
1: sepsis. I know.
0: And I'll just take another sip of wine to see if I can get my words properly today.
1: So sepsis 3 has caused a bit of controversy amongst the medical community. And there's a few reasons why. And of course, this is good. Controversy isn't a bad thing in medicine. Controversy is good because it causes us to question what we have believed to be right. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's one of the controversies is it's been difficult to come up with a satisfactory clinical definition of sepsis which would provide a rapid screening test and help us to make a definitive diagnosis. And here they've redefined sepsis and and with the earlier studies we mm-hmm. finally tried to define sepsis and yeah. all this criteria. And I guess the question that people are asking is does redefining what we call sepsis versus septic shock actually improve patient care? Yeah, exactly. Or are yeah. we just putting a new word on the same thing that's showing up at our door. And it's a good point. Of course, we need to research that to figure that out. In all sepsis definitions, the diagnosis of sepsis includes suspected infection.
0: hmm Yeah.
1: Unfortunately, there's no indication or guidance as to how we determine whether an infection is suspected. And exactly. really, when you're making a list of differential diagnoses in most or many, actually, I'd say most, yeah. ED patient presentations infection is always on the list somewhere. It may be totally at the bottom. You're like, no, no, no. This is just a plain old asthma attack. But if that doesn't work, it could be pneumonia. Exactly. It could be this. And so infection is kind of always there. So uh, sepsis 3 recognizes this universal possibility of infection in undifferentiated patients. And they recommend that infection be suspected in any patient with unexplained dysfunction of any organ. Again, a description that would match pretty well every sick person that comes through exactly, the door. exactly right so does having such a broad definition of suspected infection that definition being anyone with organ dysfunction mm-hmm. does that really help
0: exactly because that
1: casts such a huge
0: net yeah because if you think about it if somebody has a kidney stone their bun and creatinine are elevated so it does show a bit of organ dysfunction mm-hmm. they're not septic yeah generally speaking right yeah.
1: And so, so it's it's an interesting definition. Thing. And it's a it? great con- it's a great comment to be made, right? Yeah, You're exactly. now making a very broad definition. And how does that help us or does it? Exactly. And maybe it does. And you know, again, these are just points that people have raised that need to be further researched. Mm-hmm. The SOFA score itself is an illness severity score, which is used to predict the mortality of a critically ill patient. And and that's an important thing. It's an illness severity score that predicts the mortality of a critically ill patient, yeah, QSOFA was designed to predict mortality in patients with suspected infection. So you can actually apply SOFA to anyone, yeah, any absolutely. ICU patient. Yeah, QSOFA was sort of to gear it down to infection. the infection group or subgroup of patients. Mm-hmm. So these are scores that predict mortality and right. not scores of sepsis, and that's one of the conversations you hear. People have heard this sepsis 3.0, they've heard of QSOFA, and they say, oh, well, are we screening people at triage now with QSOFA instead of uh, the SIRS criteria or whatever you may use? Yeah. So it's important that these are tools that predict yeah. mortality yeah. and are not weren't even marketed as a screening tool. You can make the assumption that anyone with a positive QSOFA should be treated for sepsis or at least require further investigation. investigation. Yeah. Yeah. But it hasn't actually been prospectively validated for that use as a screening tool into the sepsis world. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, QSOFA, for the limited research there is, has similar performance compared to SIRS for mortality prediction. Right now, SIRS criteria itself has been criticized for being poorly sensitive. We yeah. catch everyone. And I always use the example of if I run up the street to the front doors of the emergency department, mm-hmm. I will have an increased respiratory, and say I have a cough, yeah, I will have an increased respiratory rate, an increased heart rate, and possible source of infection. I meet the SIRS criteria when really I just ran to the front doors of the hospital, so it, it catches everyone who might mm-hmm. have sepsis. And and we all know of applying it that a lot of them don't. Yeah, qSOFA has a higher specificity but a lower sensitivity, so it is more specific to sepsis, but because it has a lower sensitivity, you can miss some cases. Yeah. So it's not a very wide net. It's more of a narrow pylon
0: yeah exactly that's very good actually yeah mm-hmm. so I just the came thing up with is, that I know. <laughs> very good. but it's more I think that's that's the danger of using it as a screening tool isn't right. it and that's basically is what that you might saying. miss people yeah exactly
1: and it's not bad that SIRS criteria casts a wide net because no. we screen them early and send them to someone else who will look Figure further it into it yeah it's just good to know that that's what you're doing at this moment uh as well sepsis three which includes all this sofa q sofa is not a consensus guideline so we're not really changing practice based on this yet what it is is it's a a group of people who've come together and published this saying we need to do more research and i don't think anyone at this point is really billing this as as you need to go and completely change everything you've done you were killing people Mm -hmm. it's more of hey that we can probably refine some things here's some things to think about
0: exactly and I do think it's important that we look at prospective studies because they looked at retrospective studies right they looked at people who were sick right and then they looked at what kind of characteristics that they had and they've come up with this guideline so I think it is very helpful for us to think about making more studies the other thing that might be Helpful is for us to comment on what the Surviving Sepsis Campaign had to say about sepsis three. What do they think, Minnie? Well, first of all, let me tell you what the I'm Surviving sure you called Sepsis them, Campaign. Because you're I world did. famous, so no. you just phoned them up. Not really, but the Surviving Sepsis Campaign is a joint collaboration of the Society of Critical Care Medicine and the European Society of Intensive Care Medicine, which is committed to reducing mortality from severe sepsis and septic shock worldwide. And it was actually initiated in 2002. Now, when they, so they often comment on anything that's sepsis related. So when they read about sepsis, three, they wanted to kind of talk about what they feel are points that we need as a global community, how we should be thinking about sepsis.
1: And just as a side note, if you have never heard of the Surviving Sepsis Campaign, you need to go to their website.
0: There, it's an excellent, it's website. a phenomenal
1: website. It's hosted from one of the American universities, mm-hmm. I think, but it is the world collaborative kind of group that comes together around that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just Google surviving sepsis. It'll. Take I think you they to their even website. have podcasts about they some do. of the information. Absolutely. So it's
0: really fascinating to to see it. So definitely something that we would totally recommend. So step one, screening and management of infections. So there's no change. The appropriate first step in screening should always be early identification of suspected or confirmed infection. And managing the infection should continue to obtain blood and other cultures, administer tailored antibiotics as appropriate, and obtain lab results to evaluate organ dysfunction. So that hasn't changed at all. Step two is the screening for organ dysfunction and management of sepsis, which we used to call septic uh, severe sepsis. Now it's all grouped in together. So patients with sepsis, could still be identified by the same organ dysfunction criteria that we have currently. So a lactate level greater than two millimoles per liter. However, organ dysfunction may also be identified in the future using the quick sofa. So they, may, they, haven't, left, they haven't closed the door entirely. They see the value of it and they said in the future that might be like a second point. We may do that.
1: We just haven't researched it enough. Yet. No,
0: exactly. So importantly, evidence of two out of three q-sofa elements like the altered mental status, the respiratory rate greater than 22 and systolic less than or equal to 100 in patients who have screened positive for infection may be used as a secondary screen to identify patients at risk for clinical deterioration. So it's mm. kind of the winning and losing thing. I've identified them, I've treated them maybe, and now how are they doing? And if these are the scores I'm getting after all of that, oh wait a minute, maybe we need to ramp up a little bit. So it's it's there is some value to it. Step three is identifying and managing of the initial hypotension. In patients who have infection and hypotension or a lactate level greater than or equal to four Providing 30 mils per kilogram crystalloid with reassessment of volume responsiveness or tissue perfusion should be implemented. So however that looks, your ABGs, um, lactic clearance is probably the one that's being studied quite rigorously at the moment and seems to be the one that probably is most indicative of how well people are doing. So that probably is the most helpful thing. Okay,
1: so let's carry on there. And sepsis-3 introduced QSOFA as a tool for identifying patients as risk for sepsis with a higher risk of hospital death or prolonged ICU stay, both right. inside and outside critical care units. It does not define sepsis, but again is a predictor of increased mortality in ICU stays. Right. The surviving sepsis campaign concluded that new definitions of what sepsis and septic shock are yeah. do not change the primary focus of yeah. early identification and initiation of timely treatment in the management of sepsis. So interesting. So all of you out there know that Monique and I are, are big supporters of keeping up with new practice and arming yourself with information so that you can promote practice changes that are evidence-based. Mm-hmm. And I, I know myself, and being a transport nurse, going to lots of different small hospitals, Yeah, this is one question that has come up. Now, I hate sepsis, so I tend to give the short answer, but... It is a question that nurses right. have heard there's a new way to screen for sepsis and are we doing it right? And really all we're intending here is to give you some information and go, mm-hmm. yeah, there's this new thing. Right. It wasn't necessarily meant for you screening patients coming through the door, which is what most eMERGE nurses are worried about. But it may someday have some application to your practice. Yeah. Yeah. And so we just thought it was important to Yeah. And to I talk think you that.
0: and I often talk about the fact that you know sometimes in emergency departments emergency nurses are really good at the initial piece of it. Right. And sometimes once all that excitement is done we're kind of like, yeah, we're ready to go for coffee and let's bring the next exciting thing down.
1: And why isn't there a bed for them somewhere exactly.
0: else? Exactly. And I think that what we're saying here is that just identifying somebody and kind of getting all that exciting stuff done right off the bat doesn't mean that your job is done. You need to kind of have that ongoing care of are we winning or losing. And so having this ability or having another screening tool will allow us to determine, are we doing the right things by our patients? And with us doing this, are they actually getting surviving sepsis at the end of it, so wow, to speak? that was, uh-huh. God. I know. They could
1: have paid you for that, but they didn't.
0: No, they didn't.
1: So let's uh, summarize. Mm-hmm. Once you read all of this and read everyone's opinions and everything there are still five things that everyone agrees on yeah the first one being early identification whether you use the SIRS criteria maybe QSOFA in the future who really cares use something yeah. and identify them early gone are the days of granny Fufu coming in yeah with a fever and sitting in your hallway for four hours because you have no bed you yeah. need to be on it they're a CTAS too yeah they go into the department yeah they get an IV they get seen
0: yep exactly
1: Number two, early antibiotics are good.
0: Within the hour.
1: Within an hour. Yeah. The numbers vary as to how many lives you can save, but it is one of those things that that's probably one of the number one interventions you can do is get early, broad-spectrum antibiotics Antibiotics. into someone who you suspect sepsis. Fluids. Yes. And sometimes a lot of fluids. Yeah. Maybe three or four liters. Um, You need to make sure the tank is full. But also the early use of vasopressors, and we're not necessarily very good at that in all mm-hmm. emergency departments. No. The bigger city ones may be a little more comfortable with this, but if you don't do it every day to suddenly have someone say, let's start an norepinephrine infusion 15 minutes after someone comes through the door and has a bolus, yeah. you may think they're nuts, but you're trying to perfuse the body and that's not an unrealistic step. If you're fluid resuscitating and it just doesn't seem to be going well, to use early vasopressors. Don't leave them with a pressure of 70 for two hours thinking the fluid's going to start working. If they're sick and trying to die and you're pouring fluids into them and it's not working, once you're sure there's some fluid in that tank, squeeze it.
0: Exactly. And really, if you, any nerds out there, those three studies that we mentioned at the beginning, the promise, the process arise, all actually talk about early vasopressors as having a a big benefit to out of hospital um, survival. So definitely, I totally agree with you.
1: Number four, assess whether you're winning or losing. As Monique already said, use something yeah. to decide if what you're doing is working. Mm-hmm. Lactate clearance is one that a lot of places use, but there's also, you know, endpoint, vital sign endpoints, exactly. some of these scales that you may be able to use. Just use something. Yeah. And, and a lot of places you will be guided through preprinted orders or clinical guidelines as to what you use in your facility. And fifth is watch them closely. And put them in the right place and monitor them closely. These patients, if they can start to look better, they can start to look worse just as quickly. So they may look better quickly, but they may also deteriorate again. Very
0: quickly. Yeah. So you just need to be vigilant, isn't it? That's basically all it is. Mm So see, sepsis wasn't that terrible to talk about. It was actually quite interesting.
1: It was, I guess. Yeah. I I still prefer when Sherry talks about sepsis. I know.
0: (laughs) So Sherry, next time. I guess you and I will be doing the podcast next time if we're talking about sepsis. That's for sure. All right. Definitely have a glass of wine with you then, Sherry.
1: And I think that's all for this month.
0: It is. We'll see you next month.
1: Where we will talk about...
0: Gosh, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm.
1: Breathing stuff. Oh, yeah. We'll make it a mystery. I know. (laughs) All right. Uh, This is Landon. This is Monique. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time for past episodes and to comment on this episode please visit our website at nursem.org that's n-u-r-s-e-m dot o-r-g you can follow us on twitter at nursemcast and also find us on facebook at nursem podcast we look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education.
0: www.prneducation.ca